1 John, beginning in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, but because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. As I look out at the audience, I can tell the turkey coma has yet to subside. We were in Illinois just yesterday and drove back, and I think all of our children are still in thinking that they're in grandparent world where they get wherever they, whatever they want. So that'll be an adjustment for the next couple days. But it is good. It's a good time to spend time with family and to enjoy one another, but it's also good to be back here where the Lord has us doing ministry all together. So with that, even though it's just a normal week. My guess is it feels a little longer. It's a little different. You had a holiday. Your routine's a little off. And so I'm going to start by just reviewing the first two chapters of the book of Jonah, because I think we could all probably utilize a refresher as we shake out um, the, the tiredness of, of a holiday weekend. It's always funny. Judah called it a vacation, but it doesn't really feel like that at this point, does it? But that's okay. It's still great. Well, Jonah is a book about this prophet named Jonah, Jonah the son of Amnitai. And when it opens up, it opens up right off the bat and the action gets started. And God tells Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. And Jonah responds to that by fleeing in the opposite direction and he goes to a different city, or he at least attempts to go to a different city, the city of Tarshish. And he has to go first to a port city called Joppa, and he gets himself a boat, and he gets on this boat, and he's heading in the opposite direction. He should be going northeast by land, instead he's going southwest by water. Complete opposite direction, and disobeying God, doing what he wants to do, rather than doing the thing that God has called him to do. But God, because he loves us, and he is rich in mercy towards us, even when we try to run away from him, he goes and pursues Jonah, but he does that in quite astounding form. God hurls a great wind upon the sea, and all of a sudden, Jonah and the men he's sailing with are in danger. They're in life-threatening kind of danger. And these sailors begin to cry out to their false gods and nothing happens. Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. They go and wake him up. They're like, what are you doing? Pray to your God. And they still can't figure out what's going on. So they decide to cast lots, which is just a way of kind of figuring out and testing fate. Whose fault is this? And that lot, by God's hand of providence, falls to Jonah. And so they find him out and they said, who are you? What is going on? What is happening? Why is this happening to us? And he says, well... 
I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And they look at him and they said, so what are you doing? Because he tells them in that process somewhere in there, and by the way, I'm fleeing from his presence. And they can't believe that. They're astounded by that. Like you say you serve this God who creates the sea, which we're on, and the dry land, which you're supposed to be on. And what do you think is going to happen? And so God tosses up the sea and Jonah says, you know what's going to make this better? Throw me overboard. They don't want to do that. And so they start rowing as hard as they can back to land and they just can't make it. So finally they resolve themselves to listen to Jonah. They throw him overboard. The sea calms down and these sailors begin to worship the one true God, the God who made heaven, the sea, and the dry land. And in that time, Jonah begins to sink to the bottom of the sea, and God, in a strange way, albeit, but in a way altogether, sends a great fish to come and swallow up Jonah. And in the belly of that fish, Jonah prays. And that was last week's sermon, as Jonah prays, and he kind of comes to this conclusion at the verse, or at the, the end, where He cries out that salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the fish vomits him out. What we want to see is that Jonah is a changed man. And that's what leads us here to Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to go ahead now and read all of those those five verses. Jonah chapter 3, picking up at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least of them. Well, what we want to see is that in this process that God has brought Jonah through, that he has sinned and he's going in the wrong direction, but God, rich in mercy, pursues Jonah and brings him back unto himself through his ways of discipline by bringing in this storm and then bringing in a great fish to swallow him up, and Jonah gets vomited out, changed, indifferent. What we want to see today is that grace, the grace of God that pursues us when we go our own way, That when it has its way in our lives, does produce obedience. And that's what we want to see in the life of Jonah. That grace does produce obedience. Jonah and the Ninevites. As we look at these five verses, that it shows us that we are to obey the word of the Lord. That obedience really happens kind of one step at a time. And then finally what we'll look at as we kind of jump in these verses, that Obedience does follow belief that grace comes first and it changes us and we believe and then we obey. And we want to see that process lived out and then we're going to bring that all into our life. What does that look like for us as we are Christians who in, in lots of ways I am sure we can all relate to Jonah. In our community group last week we all went around and shared testimonies and unplanned and unprompted. I think everybody there, all the guys who were meeting together said, I was following Jesus, and then this happened in my life, and I wasn't following Jesus, but then God moved in such a way and brought me back to him. And by the end of it, we said, man, we're all a lot like Jonah, unprompted and unplanned. And I think that's what we all see, is that we live in this life where sometimes we're obedient and sometimes we're not, and we're in this process together. But what I want to see, want us to see or walk away with is this 
understanding that the grace of God in our lives does produce within us fruitfulness or obedience. It really does change us. So looking at the first three verses, well, kind of two and a half verses, we want to see that we are to obey the word of the Lord. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, if you've read through the book of Jonah in our time together, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do it. It doesn't take very long. You, and if you're really maybe good at just reading and you have decent retention of that, you might read that first couple verses and say, that sounds really, really familiar. Where have I heard this before? And the answer is in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There are actually some word-for-word similarities that are happening, but there are also things that are different. And I think the differences in this particular instance help highlight some things that the author is trying to help us see, particularly the work of the word of the Lord and how we are to obey it. See, what's the same in both places is that in both places, Jonah is told to arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. Both of those things. And it's like a word-for-word match, but there's some little differences here or there. Instead of, again, giving Jonah's identity as the son of Amnitai, what, what we see instead is, is that he says, and jo- the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it says, the second time saying. And what a good, small, and I'll, this is a little bit of a side note, but just a small reminder that we do serve a God of second chances. That we serve a God that when we fail him and we go the wrong way and we do everything that's not the right way, that in his kindness, he comes and he gives Jonah this second time. And I think what we'll see before we finish the book is that he gives Jonah more than that. And I hope by the time we finish the book, you would say even more, wow, I am a lot like Jonah. Because Jonah doesn't exactly end in a great place of obedience like he is in chapter 3 here. So he tells him and he tells them that, that he comes to him a second time. Another difference that we want to see is, is in the first time that God comes and talks to Jonah, he tells him to arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. And then he tells them, because their evil has come up before me. So the emphasis is, is on Nineveh's evil. That's why you need to go and call out. But this second time, it's go call out against it, the message that I tell you. See, the emphasis isn't on the, the evil of Nineveh. The emphasis is on the message, the word that God is going to give Jonah to speak and preach to Nineveh. It, it, it's, it's highlighting that something is going to happen that's, that, that we need to know. We should know that something is coming around the bend that maybe we don't see. What we think is going to happen is going to preach to evil people, and they're going to respond how evil people respond, and they're going to just keep doing what they want to do. But, but if you know the book of Jonah, and I've just kind of read those, those chapters to you, spoiler alert, they don't do that. They, rep- they repent. So the emphasis is on the message. And finally, he's told to uh, Jonah arises, and even uses the same verse there that, that in verse 1 it says, and so Jonah arose, and then it says, to flee to Tarshish. But in chapter 3 it says, but Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, and then it gives us this little prepositional phrase, according to the word of the Lord. So what is spurring on his obedience? If we can remember what is happening to Jonah as he's in the belly of, the, of this great fish that God has sent to, to save him from drowning— We talked about that last week, and he has this uh, come-to-Jesus kind of moment. 
as he realizes the reality of his own sin, as he realizes the reality of where, what's happening, that he's been fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and he comes to, to acknowledge that to be away from the presence of the Lord is to be in the place of death, and I don't want to do that. And he gets to the place at the end of that prayer where he says, but salvation, he belongs to the Lord. He's, he's changed and he's different. And when he gets vomited out of this fish, when God comes to him and he tells him, arise, go to Nineveh and call out against it the message that I tell you, Jonah's response is to get up and go to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And that's what we ultimately want to see in our lives, that when we change, when we come in, counter with the word of God and and the person of God and the work of Christ, it changes us. Now, I know in an audience like this, if I come in and say, hey, the word of the Lord is true, I'm probably not going to get much pushback. If I just say like, hey, is the Bible true? I think almost every hand in the room would say, yes, the Bible is true. But what I'm trying to get to at this moment is that there is purpose to the truthfulness of the Bible, that the truth of the Bible isn't just data transfer. It's not like I get up here on Sunday morning or you should read your Bible and it should be as simple as here's facts to learn, here you have the facts, now you learn them and now we leave, but rather that there is a purpose to the exchange of God's truth, that it's more than just information exchange, not just the preaching of the word, but the reading of the word. And when we encounter the word of God, and when God comes, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it's not enough for Jonah just to hear it and say, okay, but he actually has to do something about it. And even for us today, what I want to say is the word of God has a purpose to it. The truthfulness of his word profits us. 2 Timothy 3.16 holds exactly what the Bible is to do in our lives. This is all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is given to us and it's breathed out by God and his word comes to us and it comes to us for a profit that you might gain something. There is purpose to it. It's to teach you, to reprove you, to correct you, to train you. And in verse 17, that the, that the person of God, the man of God, may be complete. And here's what that means. It implies something really important. That if the word of God is absent for your life as a Christian, you are not complete. What we need to be complete, to be whole, is to have the word of God in our lives to train us for righteousness, to equip us for every good work. You cannot be equipped for the good works that God has for you apart from his revealed will for you in his word. You need the Bible. You need his word. You need it to be encountered personally. That's why we encourage things like personal study of the word of God. It's why Sunday morning church attendance matters, even when you're really tired on a rainy day after eating too much food. It's why it matters that we attend a community group and interact with these things, because without that community group this week, I don't know that I would have seen the reality of just how much like Jonah we all are. But in, in acting with 
with encountering the word together as we read that passage together and these group of guys got to talk and work it out and talk about our own stories, I learn more. And a commentary isn't going to do that. You need one another and you need to be gathered around the word of God. In the Old Testament, God's people are called out of Egypt. They were slaves and he calls them out through extraordinary and amazing ways and he they travel to what will be the promised land. And I'm fast-forwarding really fast because they get there and God sends out 12 spies to this promised land. And they go out and when they return, 10 of them give a report that says that does not trust the word of God. They said, we're going to do what we want to do. This is, they're too scary, the giants are, the, the people in the land are too strong for us. We should just go back to Egypt and Two of the spies say, no, 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 God has given us this land, and they see the land, they see everything that's good and great in it. But that generation of of people decides to go against Moses, and they want to do their own thing, and they say, let's just go, we're going to go back to Egypt, we're going to go back to slavery. I can't believe that God would do this. They don't trust the word of the Lord, that God has promised this land to them, and and it gets to the point that God really says, fine, I'm just going to wipe them out, And Moses, I'm just going to make a new nation through you. And Moses says, God, don't do that for your namesake and for your glory, that lest that Egypt might hear that and that they would turn away from you. And so God instead, he decides, he he chooses to to just have this this generation of Israelites wander around in the desert for 40 years. Fast forwarding, I have to get that backdrop so you can understand the book of Deuteronomy. Because what happens in the book of Deuteronomy is that new generation that has come out as these people have died away. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. The generation before them is unable to enter the promised land because of their disobedience, because they don't obey God's word and trust it. And in Deuteronomy 29, as he gets to the end, Moses gives these series of speeches in the book of Deuteronomy, and he's basically telling them, this is the word that God has given you. This is the way you're supposed to, to, to live when you enter into the promised land. When he gets to Deuteronomy 29, he tells them, when you enter in the promised land, you're going to see these other false gods around you, and you're going to be tempted to go their way. You're going to be tempted to disobey and do what you want to do rather than doing what God has revealed to you to do in his word. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you will be cursed. You will live out the curses of this book and you will be exiled, which is what we know. If you look at the rest of the Old Testament, that's what happens. They're exiled, but then God in his kindness, just like Jonah, brings his people back. But it's not quite as great and it's not as good. And ultimately that paves the way for Jesus to come through. But we get to Deuteronomy 29, and in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses kind of summarizes this, these statements about obedience to the word of God and what will happen if they don't and their temptedness to false gods. And he says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that, may we, that we may do all the words of his law. See, God doesn't just give us his word so that we can read it and have some kind of academic intellectual exercise with it. But his word is given to us that we might obey it, that we might do it. As I've trying to show you that this isn't just one place in the Bible. I'm walking you through really the Bible's big storyline in this moment. And I know that can get a little hard. This theme continues on to the book of Hebrews which is in the New Testament after Jesus has ascended. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, the writer tells us, 
Take care, brothers, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he warns them of an unbelieving heart. He says, but extort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What I was just saying before, we have to have one another speaking the word of God into our lives so that we might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he tells us, I believe, who that, what that rebellion is. He says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? That first generation coming out of Egypt. And he says, was it not all who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, meaning they died and they were not able to enter into God's promised land? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews is tying this all together for us. That what we see in the Old Testament as these people are traveling to the promised land, uh, reaching out into the book of Hebrews, is that is all a picture of what it looks like to be a child of God, to be a part of God's family and a part of his people. We are all on this pilgrimage, heading our way towards the promised land, which is new heaven, new earth, where God is going to return. Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom and his rule and reign forever. And you will either enter that Based on the basis of your belief in Jesus, or you will not enter on the basis of unbelief. But here's what he's trying to say to his people, to a group of supposed Christians that he is preaching to in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is probably just a long sermon. You think my sermons are long? His was like 16 chapters. Okay? And he's telling this group of people Beware and take care, because listen, disobedience will lead you to disbelief. Disobedience will lead us to disbelief. He's preaching to them. We believe in our church, we read our statement of faith, it's clear, it's no secret, that we believe that all who are saved, who know God, who experience him, will be preserved until the end, that God will keep those who are his. But make no mistake, we believe that because God will do that God's way. And God's way is to preserve us through normal means of the preaching and hearing his word, working in our hearts to believe that word and then to obey it. That's God's normative way. So we want to to hear this warning from the book of Hebrews. We want to look at the life of Jonah and say, yeah, even when I get it wrong and I sin and I run away from God, he is rich in mercy. He's going to hunt me down. He's going to bring about storm and discipline into my life. If he's got to swallow me up in a giant fish, he'll do it. And he will preserve me to the end. He will do it. But it's by his means of his word. Because at the end, what produces obedience, it doesn't say, and Jonah obeyed, because he really didn't want to get swallowed by a camel now that he's on dry land. It doesn't say that. 
What it says is he obeyed, he went to Nineveh. Why? According to the word of the Lord. God's word is our life. It is breathed into us. If we sever ourselves from it, it will lead to disobedience and lead to unbelief. As Moses is preaching to this group of people and he's telling them, I don't want you to fall away from the living God. I don't want you to be an exile. I want you to inherit this land that he's given you. How are you going to do that? Obey the word of God. The secret things are, belong to the Lord, but the things that he's revealed, he's given to us and to our children forever that we may do all the works of the law. And as I stand here and I preach to my little church, I want to just be in that long line of faithful pastors and shepherds who say to their people, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I believe that God will preserve you, but he does that through his means. And I want to participate in the means of God by exhorting you one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that you might come and share and continue to share in Christ, that you might hold your original confidence firm to the end, that you might hear his voice and not harden your hearts as they did in that rebellion. That my people, that our people at Redemption Hill would be a people who persevere to the end because we hear the word of God and we believe it and we obey it. That's why the church matters. That's what we do for each other over and over again, week in and week out. But this perseverance doesn't happen all at once. It's not just a one-time worship experience that you get caught up into but it happens day by day and it takes place step by step. Looking at verses, the end of verse three and verse four, we obey one step at a time. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is a huge and overwhelming task that Jonah has given. One guy is to go into this great city, this large city, and preach to it. I don't know what you would do. I don't know what I would do. Do you go in, start meeting with city officials? Maybe they'll give you a, a, a big audience so you can preach to. Do you just walk around yelling this one verse that we get. I don't know that he did that. I think this is like a summary of his message. Um, not like necessarily, I don't think he just like, I don't think he's like the guy on the street corner, like the end is here. Um, it's probably a little less weird than that. But he's going, he's doing that. And, and, and I just think the enormity of this task, it's, it's an exceedingly large city. And it's a hard thing to translate. A lot of things in the book of Jonah are, are but it's, you know, is it just saying that the city is important to God? And I think obviously it is because God is going to lead them to repentance. Or is it saying that it's like a God-sized city? I don't know. It's three days journey is what we're told. So we don't know if that means like around the city or through the city, but, but I looked it up and I think we're kind of in the edge of the city of Columbus right now in this moment, the Prairie Township Community Center. If you walk out of here and you look left, it doesn't look like much city. It's 
farmland. If you look right, it looks like the city. And if you were just to take a straight walk on Broad Street from here, and there's a Circle K in Reynoldsburg, at the very end of East Broad Street that I found on Google Maps. And if you look on Google Maps and you turn it to the right, it's like farmland. You turn it to the left, it looks like city. That Circle K is like the last part of Columbus. If you were to take off today and you were to walk from there, from here to there, it would take you seven hours and 31 minutes. To me, that sounds like a day's walk. I don't know, after seven hours of walking that I got much more left in me. Maybe Jonah's a little tougher than I am. Maybe he can go for 10 hours. I'm not really sure. But just to give you some way to kind of wrap your mind of like, what does it look like to, for a city to be a three days journey when you don't have a car and you probably walk in it and you're hoofing it. It's big. It's a big city. Now, maybe he's just talking about around the city, not necessarily straight through it like I just gave you, but that's still really big. If you, like, walk 10 hours a day, it's like 30 hours of walking. That's, that's a lot of walking. You're going to be really tired. And I don't know, does he just start walking and then start preaching? Does he walk in for a day and he's like, well, now I'm in the middle of it, so I'm just going to start yelling? I don't know. I don't know what he does. We don't, we don't know that. The Bible it just doesn't tell us. But he goes in, and, and what does stick out to me when I was reading this, and I was thinking, I was trying to wrap my mind of, like, what would I do? Like, I, I'm trying to plant a church on the west side of Columbus, and, like, what we did is I, like, drew a small box because the city of Columbus is just too overwhelming. Like, we can't reach all of that. That's just overwhelming. I can't do that. But that's what God told Jonah to do, and I was trying to think through, like, what would that actually be like? And it, as I looked at that, it just says, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. It's three days to get around the city, but Jonah takes it one day at a time, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What every commentator would agree with, whether it's around the city, through the city, does he preach as he goes? Does he follow some eastern customs that got really confusing uh, about meeting with people? Whatever he does, what we can all agree on, and what this text makes really clear, is he doesn't waste any time. He gets to it. And he does it one step at a time. I think about that for us on the macro level of the Christian life. Like your task, you know what it is? Make disciples of the entire world. Good luck. That's your task. That's what God has called you to do. He's called you to do that in the context of the church and every church. But I always think that is really, really overwhelming. What am I supposed to do? One step at a time. Your neighbor, your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your students, that's where you start. One step at a time. Making disciples of all nations. I think about this in maybe even the micro level, or just when life is really, really overwhelming. Whether that's in my own life or maybe I engage with other people and it's like the marriage just feels like it's on the brink and they come to me, how can we help, how can I, what do we do now? And I'm like, I don't know, that's a lot. Or addiction is overwhelming, finances are just a mess, the relationships between parents and kids are, are messy and hard, the relationships between neighbors are, are just scattered and it's like, I don't know, how can we repair any of this? And what I've learned is the answer is just one step at a time. When life is just overwhelming and just seems like too much and it's, I'm drowning in all of it, you can either sit there and drown in the multiplying problems around you or you can take it one step of faithful obedience at a time. 
I feel like, I don't know if it's an American thing or whatever it is, but so often we're always looking for something big. We're always looking for that big change, that big breakthrough, that big whatever. So often God is calling us to something small. One faithful step of obedience. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is talking about worry, he says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think that about, I struggle with this too. I think that about our church. Where are we going to exist in a a year from now, will we still be meeting in the same place? Will we not be? What, what is this going to look like? What does it look like today? And you know what the answer is? One step at a time. We don't need to solve that problem today. Today, we need to be faithful to what God is calling us all to do. We need to seek first the kingdom of God. And that is true in your life as well. God is calling you to the next step of faithful obedience in your life. I don't know how God will use your obedience, and I hope that you start taking that next step, whatever it might look like. But what we get to see is we know how God used Jonah's, and it's pretty amazing. Verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least of them. What's really interesting is the word, if we back up just a little bit, in verse 4, when Jonah's message is, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's only five words in Hebrew. It's, it's the short, and it's really ambiguous. It's actually kind of vague of what it does it mean by the word overthrown. See, that word could be translated to mean like overthrown, like a plate, like destroyed. Like Nineveh will be taken out, like Sodom and Gomorrah style in the book of Genesis, if you're familiar with that story. Or it just means like turned around. It'll be transformed. Yet in 40 days, Nineveh is going to change. We don't know necessarily what Jonah meant. I think we know later what he definitely hoped. He hoped that God wouldn't save them, but God does. The city is, in fact, transformed. They believe God and they call for a fast and put on sackcloth. These are signs of legitimate and, and true repentance. They turn away from their sin they believed God. It's, it's not just a belief like, well, now we believe that this God exists and he's going to just join our pantheon of other gods. It doesn't seem like that's what's being happened. But when it says that the people of Nineveh believed God, it, it seems that it, they trusted in God. They believed in him. They saw him for who he was, that he was the one true God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And they repent of their sin and they call for a fast. And it's everybody from the greatest to the least of them. And it's this amazing and beautiful thing. And what I want us to see is the order of how this happens. First, they hear the word of God preached by Jonah. Then they believe it, and then they obey it. On the screen, you, you maybe see there's a, a, a cycle thing. It's not very pretty looking, uh, if we can change that. But that's what our life looks like. We hear the word, believe the word, and then obey the word. Paul tells us in the, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, he, he gets us a short thing, and he, he, see, he says, you know, how will they hear if they don't have a preacher? And he tells us, like, people can't believe, repent, if they don't 
hear the word. So we've got to send a preacher to them. And then he tells them the way they believe is that faith comes through hearing and hearing the good word of Christ. And so this, this is the, the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that we have to hear the word. And then as hearing the word, God works it in us in a supernatural, amazing way. And then we believe it. And because he has done that, that's what enables us to then go and obey the word. In, in Romans chapter 6, we, we see, and how are they to believe? In verse, uh, excuse me, sorry, in verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What Paul is teaching in the book of Romans is that when you become a Christian, he, he's talking about how you're, you're saved, holy of grace, and the question gets asked, well then, psh- Shouldn't we just sin all the more? It doesn't really matter what we do. And he says, by no means. And he says that verse, a couple verses later, don't you know this is what you've been saved into? You're changing and you're different because you have been changed by what God has done. What I'm trying to bring out here is this, is that process that we have, hear the word, believe the word, obey the word, is one that you're never gonna stop living as a Christian, As a Christian, you always will need to hear the word over and over and over again. That You might be reminded of what God has called you to do, and you're going to need God, rich in mercy and grace, to continue to work in you the gift of faith and belief that you might believe the word so that you then might go and obey the word. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. To be a Christian looks like Jesus is my all in all. He is the authority of my life. He outranks me. I fear him and him alone. And so when he commands me to do something, I will arise and I will go and I will live the way he has called me to live because he has changed me. And we keep living out that process over and over and over again. That's what we want to see happen. It happens in the people of Nineveh and it happens in Jonah. It happens for us. So the reality of the Christian life is this, is whether you're like the Hebrew prophet like Jonah, who has heard this all before. He's not new to the word of God. He's used by God to speak it to other people. He's a prophet. He knows what he's talking about. And maybe you're there, you grew up in church, you grew up around it, you've heard these things over and over and over again. But God is speaking to you and he's saying, you I'm calling you back to a life of obedience that you might change or maybe you're like a Ninevite and you've never heard this before and you're living life your own way and your evil is great before the Lord but you hear the word of Christ that you might repent and believe no matter what your life story might be the call is still the same that we might hear the word believe it and obey it that God would change us and have his way in us. In James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, and I will close with this, it tells us this, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at him and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's my prayer for you. 
that you would encounter the word of God and be changed by it. You would hear the warnings of Scripture to not let the deceitfulness of sin sneak in that you might not fall away from the living God, but you would trust in God's means of grace to preserve you and keep you. That you would continue to sow your life into God's church so that you might change and be different. And that when you encounter the word of God, that you would be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And because of it, that you would be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for all that you do in our lives. We thank you that you are the God who changes us and restores us and makes us new. We thank you, Lord, that you are rich in mercy and that you will pursue us and run us down when we're not going the right way. That you will cause the the world around us to function in a way that, that will bring us back to you. God, help us see that the aim of all that you do in our lives is not to change the things around us, but God, to change us on the inside, that our hearts would be different, set on you and you alone. Lord, change us that we might be a people who are not hearers of the word only, but that we are doers of the word. I ask this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and continue worshiping together.